is the first episode of, uh, of the podcast method. This is a show that I've really wanted to do for a long time, and I've been struggling with the best way to do it. Uh, I've been podcasting since about 2006. Uh, that's when I first got into it, and that's around the time that Apple decided to uh, start including podcasts in iTunes. That was uh, the first real recognition from a mainstream company that podcasts maybe were a thing. Uh, we had Odeo before that, which is the, the tw- company that became Twitter. Uh, but, you know, when, when Apple decided this is something worth putting into our main music app, making it really easy to get these podcasts that lived pretty much everywhere on the Internet without any kind of standardization into a place that people, regular people, uh, well, regular people who had in 2006 or seven owned an iPod anyway, could put onto this device and they could listen to it uh, on the go. And that, that changed podcasting a lot. And back then I just had this silly little, well, it wasn't silly to me at the time, but looking back, it was an interview show where I talked to other geeks and people about design or development, but I knew that I wanted to do it. I mean, a little bit about me, uh, back when I was in college, I was, uh, what we used to call an RTV radio television, which is now called the RTF radio TV film. Uh, I was like an RTV major, one of many majors I had before I graduated with a completely different major, but I really wanted to uh, be in radio. I've told this story a number of times on a couple of the shows that I do, like Back to Work and and Grit, Uh, but I really really wanted to be in radio. It was something I'd absolutely loved my whole life. I wish I could still find them, but there were these recordings of me when I was a kid, maybe four or five years old, running around the house with my parents' tape recorder that had a little microphone on it, uh, interviewing my family members or, or interviewing myself as different characters, you know, Superman, Batman, whoever. It was very serious stuff for me. And I always wanted to do it. I always wanted to do radio. And when I was in college, I got talked out of doing radio and getting into broadcasting by people who were fairly successful in the industry saying, don't don't do it. It's a terrible business. You know, you're going to wind up uh, playing country records at 3 a.m. and, you know, in, in some backwoods city. And then the next day you'll come in and they'll have switched formats and you'll be out of a job and you'll have to drive somewhere else and live somewhere else. And it, it, you won't get paid anything. And you just bring people coffee for years. And this is not the sexiest job to a 20 year old kid in college. So, you know, I changed my major. The guy I remember, one of the, the radio hosts, one of the big ones. In, uh, in Central Florida at the time, the top of his game, he said, well, what else can you do? I said, well, I know computers pretty well. And he said, well, do that. If, you can do, if I could do computers, I wouldn't be in this job. Anyway, that seemed to be the attitude. And I did go into computers and I spent, you know, about 15 years, uh, you know, writing software and, uh, and, you know, like being an IT guy and, you know, working in startups in, you know, San Francisco, that kind of thing. I eventually started my own business and did like uh, uh, publishing tools and things like that for people uh, and, and you know, eventually found myself as like a CTO of a company, a startup in San Francisco. And I got totally burnt out on that life. I didn't want to do it anymore. And it was, you know, the economy was in the dumps. I had, uh, I was a breadwinner for my, my wife and our, you know, I think he was about two-year-old son at the time. And I thought, what a perfect time to like quit my CTO job and podcast for a living. But I remember reading an article that was talking about how Leo Laporte had, uh, you know, with Twit, they were doing one, $1.5 million a year in revenue. And we, I didn't know what their costs were. I didn't know any of that. And maybe that number was high or maybe it was low. Uh, but this was maybe in 2008, 2009. And I remember thinking, man, Leo is, you know, 
he's doing this business and yeah, he's got a big broadcast background. He's been on TV and everything else. I said, but you know, like these podcasts that I've been doing now, I am kind of getting them sponsored. And if he can do $1.5 million a year in revenue, I bet I could like pay my mortgage or most of it and do software consulting work in the meantime. And so long story short, that's what led to me starting five by five, kind of taking the shows that I was already doing, which lived in a whole bunch of different places and putting them together into five by five. I built the website and the publishing tools because back then there weren't really places you could just go and make a a, a website. And plus, I wanted all the shows to live together. I wanted to kind of make a family of shows Uh, since I was pretty much doing all of them at the time. uh, It made sense. So I, I, I couldn't find and I tried them all couldn't find any other good software out there to build anything. Uh, So I, you know, I built it myself and, you know, I guess long story short, here we are. And man, has it been a weird road to get where we are now? Uh, Podcasting has changed so, so, so much. It's, It's definitely a thing now. And that's great because I love podcasts. I love radio. I love talk radio. I love the fact that, like, we have an office uh, not far from downtown. I'm looking out through the studio window out of our big window on the wall, and I'm looking at downtown Austin. Like, we've got an office. I have uh, not a lot of employees, but uh, people work with me, and, and I get to write out checks every month to people who make really amazing shows. They get paid to make shows. Uh, it's the most amazing thing. And I get paid to make shows. It's so cool because this is what I always wanted to do. And it got combined with running a business, which is something else I love to do. And I'm still learning something about every single day. Uh, but I get to like come and go in front of a microphone and talk to really amazing people like every day. Uh, and that's what I think is so exciting about podcasting is anybody can do it. But that's also the thing that I think makes podcasting such a weird place in the same way that the web was a weird place when people first started realizing that, oh, they could go and get a copy of Microsoft Front Page or Dreamweaver and, you know, for a few bucks a month, host that uh, website somewhere. You had this proliferation of people who were making uh, something because they could and because it was exciting and because it was inclusive and because they could just jump in and do it. But there was a lot of stuff out there that, that was not that good. And it was really hard to tell the difference between the good things and the not so good things. I think with podcasting, we're kind of in an interesting space because there is a barrier of entry that's much higher than just having a computer or being able to use one. You've got to get some equipment to do it. Uh, and and you've got to, you know, you've got to host your, your podcast somewhere. You've got to understand how to uh, submit it to iTunes and how to integrate it. You've got to understand if you want the show to grow, how to promote it. Uh, if you want to make some money doing it, which obviously shouldn't be your goal, but it, it's not a bad goal to have, how do you do that? How do you do ad sales? How do you figure out how not to make the millions and millions and millions of mistakes that I've made? I guarantee you, if it has to do with podcasting, I've made that mistake. I've done it wrong. And I may be still doing it wrong. And that's just the way that it is. Um, there isn't uh, a, a foolproof method for doing a podcast. There isn't a guaranteed way to get a show that that will be popular and will make you money. And a lot of people come to me and say, you know what? I don't care. I just I just want to have fun with my friends. I'm not trying to make money. I'm not trying to start a business. I'm not trying to uh, start some big enterprise. I just want to like make a show with with my friends for my friends. How do I do that? 
all the way up to the people who email me and they're like, you know what, we're we're ready to spend $20,000 on a studio. What should we buy? And every question in between. So the fact that podcasting is, is still here uh, after starting so strangely and, and growing into what it's become makes me so happy. And it's something that I really want everybody to be able to do. And I've having made all those mistakes, I just want to share every single thing that I've ever learned uh, here uh, with you guys. I also have a site, uh, podcastmethod.co, where I'm doing, I'm going to be publishing these shows, but I'm also going to be putting out uh, videos. Like I did a video on mic technique because I noticed whenever I talked to, to people, um, you know, and they'd, I'd say, what kind of mic do you have? And they'd say, oh, I've got a Heil PR40 like you have, like you have, Dan. And I'd say, oh, that's great. How come you you sound so weird? How wait a minute? How close are you to your microphone? Little things like that. Um, that you know, just spending the money on really good equipment still doesn't guarantee that you're going to sound good. So I know I'm kind of all over the place right now uh, because I'm just so excited about doing this. And I really uh, the the only way I'm going to make this show work, uh, the only possible way, uh, is if you people will ask me questions, ask me questions. And I'll answer them and I'll make this show every week and I will answer your questions every week. And uh, eventually, you know what, maybe we'll have guests on here. I, when I kind of announced that maybe I was doing this show, a lot of people said, hey, I would love to be on. I'm, you know what, I'm an audio engineer and I have been for 15 years and I learned so much by working in broadcast and recording and let me come on, on your show and share my advice. Yes, I would love to do that. I definitely plan to do that. This is going to be the kind of show that people who want to podcast, uh, who are already podcasting and want to learn more, uh, hopefully will will be able to be a part of and, and learn something from. And man, if this show had existed or what I hope this show becomes had existed, uh, gosh, I don't know, you know, five years ago, think of how much money I would have saved. Think of how much time I would have saved. Because like I said, I've done everything wrong and I've, I've paid for those mistakes and hopefully you won't have to. So um, I want to jump in right now. What, the, the best way to ask me questions is on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. Go there, ask me a question and hashtag podcast method. Um, we're, we're recording, we're saving all of these, not just the good ones, we're saving all of them because all of them are good, right? And uh, I will try my best to consolidate and answer all of these questions every single week. Uh, so to start off, uh, you know, maybe we'll have guests, we'll do all that stuff. But to start off, I have a whole bunch of questions here. I think there's like four or five pages of questions. I don't know that I'll be able to get through all of them uh, this week, but I wanted to just dive right in and uh, and kind of do a stream of consciousness thing uh, to kick the show off and, and see if I could get to some of your questions. So here's uh, the first one from Kendall Giles. Uh, all of these come in through through Twitter, by the way. Um, do you have any suggestions for where to host your recorded podcasts? Do you use your own domain? Should you use Libsyn, etc.? I get a lot of questions like this. Uh, it's a great question. The way that we do it at 5x5 is probably not the way that most other people uh, would want to start out doing it. And certainly they wouldn't need to start out doing it the way that we do it. But I'll, I'll tell you how we do it. Um, I have servers that uh, that this content management system that I, that I built, the website essentially runs on. And when we publish an episode, it uploads the file to the server and it sits up there. But if we were just to launch it and keep it there, uh, the server would get clobbered with a whole lot of downloads. Uh, it would it would slow down 
And especially when we have a, a, a popular show like Mac Power Users or Back to Work, which get uh, you know, tons and tons of downloads, especially when they first come out, we used to see the servers just bogged down by that. And that, that was not fun for anybody. Uh, so we use, uh, we use a, uh, a CDN, a content delivery network. And the one that we use right now is Cashfly, cashfly.com. Uh, They're great. And we've been using them for years. But that's probably overkill for a show that you're just starting out with that has a few hundred or even just a few thousand. I shouldn't say just a few thousand downloads is a lot. Uh, but that, you know, that in that kind of space, uh, it might not make sense. There are lots of really great solutions for this. Uh, a few of them that, that I know about that I've used Squarespace is a great place. They're not sponsoring this episode of the show, by the way. Um, the, uh, the, they have a really great place that you can go and you can make a website and you can upload your show right there and it, it just downloads right from them and they give you statistics and things like that and it's included in whatever you're going to be paying for Squarespace. Another one that I hear a lot is Libsyn. Uh, Libsyn is designed for hosting podcasts and they have statistics and other things like that built in. Um, I have not used Libsyn, uh, so I don't have a lot of experience with it. I've helped a bunch of people who have brought their shows to 5x5 at one time or another. Uh, you know, they've been, they've been on Libsyn and I've helped them migrate from it. But me personally, I have not hosted shows there, but a lot of people do. And I think that's a perfectly fine place to start. They have a plan that's, uh, that's, that's I think, free or inexpensive, and it's a really affordable way uh, to start out. Um, another uh, question that I actually see here that was asked is, um, you know, wh- what about uh, tracking numbers and downloads? Uh, SoundCloud does that. Uh, Peter uh, Bulanow says, what do you think about hosting podcast audio on SoundCloud and then using FeedBurner to redirect the RSS feed? That's actually leads me to a couple other really, really good questions about the way that podcasts are tracked and sold because this is a, a big confusing uh, thing here. Um, yeah, SoundCloud I think is is great. Uh, I know the people behind SoundCloud. I've talked to them a bunch. We may be putting uh, more of our shows up on SoundCloud. We put some there now. I know a lot of people that do host their files there. I think that's fine. I think especially when you're starting out, anything that the, the right answer is whatever is the most straightforward, easiest way for you with the caveat of you're probably going to have to change the way you do it later. Uh, you probably will, whether you start out on Libsyn or SoundCloud or your own, uh, you know, machine on Dream, you know, virtual machine on DreamHost, whatever. You'll probably have to change later. That's not a big deal. It's really not a, a, as big of a deal as you think. And, and maybe in a future show, I can explain how iTunes handles redirections and RSS feeds. There is still a huge, huge misunderstanding about iTunes and RSS feeds and things like that. I will talk about that in a future episode. But uh, as far as tracking, tracking is very important. Sponsors these days, uh, they don't really care so much about number of subscribers. They're not really that interested in subscribers the way that um, I think like FeedBurner is used on the web to say, oh, my site has 100,000 subscribers. That's not as useful to sponsors. They are really focused on downloads. Uh, How many downloads per episode, usually over the course of about 30 to to 90 days, depending. Uh, That's what they want to see. They want to see number of downloads per episode. They want those numbers to be unique, meaning uh, very, very carefully calculated uh, individual human beings downloading your show. Um, Range requests 
which is the way that the web works. Uh, it lets you take a big file, and this all happens behind the scenes, but like a big file like the size of a podcast gets broken up into multiple smaller chunks and downloaded to the podcast client from the server. Uh, so if, you're, if you don't have smart tracking in place, you can artificially, by accident of course, artificially inflate the number of downloads that it seems like your podcast is getting. So they get around that through redirection behind the scenes. Maybe we can talk more in depth about range requests and the HTTP 1.1 spec and how all of that cool stuff works behind the scenes. But simply know that if you're not using a podcast tracking service like a Libsyn or like a Squarespace or like uh, the, the tool that we built that's just right now for, for 5x5 hosts, uh, I call it FeedLayer. Um, if you're not using smart software, you, your download numbers might be artificially high. Uh, so it's important to use something like that, not just so that you know, is my show popular uh, or how am I doing, but also if you do, do decide to sell it uh, at some point, uh, advertise on it, that you'll be able to give the, the advertisers accurate numbers and uh, convert, you know, if they're getting tracking conversions, it'll, it'll look good. Um, but as far as, you know, back to that question, yes, um, tracking is very important. Not so much feed burner because that's more counting to subscribers that doesn't really matter. Again, it, that I, we talk to sponsors all the time. None of them care about that. They care about, about real downloads. Um, Definitive Media asks, do you know anything about how podcasting can reach a wider market for your business? You know, all of the podcasts right now that are popular, if you were to go and look at the iTunes, what's new, what's hot, for example, as, as a starting point, uh, and we'll talk about iTunes in, in future episodes more. You know, typically they're, they're not shows that are used as marketing for a business. And I get this question a lot. People say, oh, I've got a business and I really want the podcast to be, to be marketing for my business. I mean, you can do that. You can make a podcast about whatever you want. Right now, it seems like listeners are very aware of that. And if they feel like, I'm not talking about having an advertisement or a sponsorship in a podcast, but I'm talking about if people feel like they're being marketed to by the person who's creating the podcast, I, I feel like podcast listeners are super smart and super sensitive to that kind of thing. So I don't, I don't know how, how far you'll get if you take that direct approach. The indirect approach, though, where you're giving something to listeners, where you're giving them a really great reason to listen to your show. Uh, and yeah, you know what? Hey, here's a perfect example. Hey, I'm a web designer and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the latest version of, uh, Adobe creative suite. And here's some cool tips and tricks that I found. And by the way, if you want to hire me, you can go here. I think that's fine. I mean, people know that, that, uh, that you're going to make a living and it's a great way to promote your knowledge and talk about what you know. Uh, so I, I think that might be a good way, uh, to help and to get into it is you've got to give them a reason to listen to you, but you have to do it for the merits of the show itself. You have to make the show great. You, you know, if your ulterior motive is driving business to your website, people, listeners, sav savvy podcast listeners will know that right away. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but, uh, follow up with me on, on Twitter. Um, let's see. Okay. Simplest way, uh, three shouts on Twitter. Simplest way for me to play uh, and remote guest and I to hear. Oh. Three shouts on Twitter asks, uh, what is the simplest way for me to play audio so that the remote guest and I can both hear it during the podcast recording? 
In other words, let's say that they want to play a, a clip, a news clip, a bit of music, a uh, soundbite, something like that. How can they play that and have, uh, and have both them and the guest hear it? Well, without knowing a whole lot more about your specific setup, it, that's really tough uh, to answer how they could do that specifically. Um, th- the short answer, though, is a mixer. You need a mixer. And there are so many different mixers out there. There's a handful of them that, that I like, though. And why do you need a mixer? Let me explain. Uh, if you have a mixer allows you to take multiple inputs and record all of them, either together as one track or individually as multiple tracks, which is the best way to do it, because then you can uh, use your audio editing software to individually tweak each track's audio and make it sound awesome. Uh, but it also allows you to send audio out back to uh, the, uh, the, the other people who are, who are mixed into this. In order to do this, though, you're going to need a, a, an additional computer. And this is why right here in, in, in our studio, we've got four Skype machines. Uh, this allows me to have uh, four guests on all at the same time, individually over Skype. Uh, I can record them each as a discrete uh, audio track. We use Logic to record, but you can do this in GarageBand. You can do it in uh, Pro Tools or tons of different software out there. Uh, and basically, that's why we have these separate four separate Skype machines. We don't often have four guests, but we do sometimes. Uh, we record a whole lot of shows on 5x5. We record here in our studio, even when all of the hosts are remote elsewhere on Skype. Uh, we do that because that way we can have the the show right here. We can maintain the quality. Uh, but there are plenty of people who record what's called a double ender where they are at home and their co-host is in their home and each of them records their side of uh, of the audio. In other words, they're talking to mics. They use Skype to hear each other, but they uh, don't necessarily record the Skype conversation per se. They each are recording their own end. And then one of those people or an, a separate person who's an engineer mixes all those separate tracks back together, has the wonderful name double ender. It's old school uh, radio recording style before we had things like Skype. Uh, but, and that works perfectly fine, but how would you get, how would you play that audio clip or that bit of music or whatever so that the other person could hear it other than like playing it on a computer and hoping that, you know, you can't, you need a mixer to do that kind of thing. Um, they could still record their end on the double ender, but you would use the mixer to take that, uh, additional inputs from your iPhone or the other computer playing the audio clip and, and send it back down to them over Skype. So the short answer is a mixer. I will have a link to, uh, different starting mixers that I, that I like, uh, in the show notes here. But the one that I'm going to recommend starting out with is a uh, Mackie 820i, um, we use, I used to use that uh, mixer and then I upgraded to the 1620i and then eventually we upgraded to an Apollo, which is a rack mount uh, kind of high-end um, uh, mixer device. Uh, we'll get to mixers in another show. But for now, that's a good starting point. This thing is going to be Firewire, which means you're going to have to get a Thunderbolt uh, adapter for it so that you can plug it into your Mac. Uh, some Macs still have Firewire in them. Good luck finding one new. Uh, you're going to have to get an older Mac or just get a FireWire adapter that, to convert from, uh, from Thunderbolt uh, to, to use one of these devices because they're FireWire. But they let you record all of those tracks independently, and, uh, and you'll have to have that other machine to do it. Not easy. Maybe there's an easier way. If there is and I'm missing it, tell me. Um, let me know what you guys are, are using. You might be able to get away with doing something with Soundflower. I'll look into it and, uh, and, and see if I can answer that 
on the next show. Uh, before I do another question, before I jump in and do another question, there's uh, uh, there are two other conversations I wanted to have. One of them short, one of them a bit longer. Um, you know, I'm really, really focused on my technique. I've been doing uh, broadcast radio in one way or another, going back to college uh, for a long time. And getting good mic technique is a real challenge. I did that video that I talked about on podcastmethod.co. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for this show. Uh, but doing, uh, having good mic technique takes, it takes a whole lot of practice. I'm going to be doing more videos on it because after I did the first video, they said, oh, well, that's great if you've got, you know, uh, the kind of microphone that you have where you're talking into the front, but what about a side, uh, uh, you know, microphone where you've got a big pop filter? How do you do it then? And what if you're sitting and should you have a boom and show me how your mic technique changes when you're on a boom? So I will be, I will be covering this all in another video. Keep those great questions coming in to me, please. So I know what you guys want to see and I'll, I'll make a video for you, uh, because I love, I love doing that kind of stuff. But, you know, you talk about, uh, headphones a lot. Why are you wearing headphones? And then I'll bring someone into the studio here and they'll sit down to do an interview or something. And they'll say, I can hear myself on the headphones. And I'll be like, uh, yes, you can. And they'll say, well, why don't I, that's so weird. It's jarring. It's, it feels strange. Why am I hearing myself in my headphones? And I say, well, then I remember iPhones really changed things for people back in the old days. We used to have these phones that would sit on a table or be hanging from the wall in our house. And when you would talk on that phone, you would hear yourself coming up through the earpiece. There's a name for this that I'm forgetting right now, and I'm not doing the show live, so I can't rely on the chat room to tell me. Sorry, Jackals. But uh, it used to be common that you would hear yourself. Now... Uh, you don't hear yourself when you're talking on the phone. And this concept of hearing yourself and monitoring yourself and knowing how you sound has kind of gone away. It is absolutely critical that you hear yourself when you are recording because how else will you know how you sound? How will you know what it is that you sound like on your recording? Are you too close to the mic? Are you too far from the mic? Is there... Uh, proximity effect happening. Look up what that is. It's very and very interesting. You know, you won't know. People think that I'm, I have headphones on so I can hear my guests. Well, yes, that's absolutely true. I need to be able to hear the guests that are coming in over Skype or wherever. But you need to have the headphones on to hear yourself. You absolutely have to, and get, get over the weirdness that you might hear at first because you need to monitor yourself. You need to know how you sound at every single moment that you're recording that show that you're doing. Critical, absolutely critical. You don't need to have the headphones uh, that we use here to do it. A simple pair of iPhone headphones will work just fine. The headphones that we love to use here uh, are pretty much the industry standard classic studio monitoring headphones. They are the Sony uh, MDR7506. Uh, I'll put the link to those in the show notes also. And they're in my uh, podcast equipment guide as well, just like that Mackie mixer I mentioned, which I'll link up to. Uh, these are the pretty much industry standard monitoring headphones. I don't know if you would want to like, you know, walk around town with these things on. They don't especially look cool. They're not supposed to look cool. They're supposed to give you the most accurate representation of the thing that you're recording, voice, music, whatever, a most accurate representation possible. Uh, they're pretty affordable for studio monitoring headphones. I think they're about a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks. Yeah. 
Um, you can use iPhone headphones as long as you can hear yourself, as long as you can hear your guests. It's fine. That's the main thing. You, you don't need something fancy. Um, someone commented to me that uh, they saw a video of Howard Stern and he was wearing these Sony headphones. Yeah, because they're in every broadcast studio across the United States and probably the UK as well, because they are like the industry standard headphones for use during recording. Um, they're not amazing. They're, they're not bad. They're simply very good and affordable. Uh, you don't need them to do the kind of work that, that you're talking about doing, but that's why we have headphones on because we've got to hear ourselves and we've got to hear our guests and, uh, and doing that is, is super important. Uh, oh, and by the way, another reason I like these headphones, I can wear these things for three, four, five hours at a time and they feel fine. They don't bother. They're not heavy. They don't bother your ears, at least mine. So, uh, go check those out. And the second thing, uh, before I take a couple more questions here and, and then probably wrap this thing up, the, the, is there was this uh, conversation recently on Twitter that uh, that uh, people very passionate about microphones. Um, it, it, microphones are one of those things that, especially when you really get into doing this and you do it more seriously, it is such a personal opinion. Um. I sound fairly good through the microphone that I'm using right now. Uh, we use here in the studio at Five by Five, and we've got a, a ton of these mics. Um, they're the Heil PR40s. These were designed by a guy, uh, Mr. Heil, uh, who uh, wanted to come out with something better than what was uh, the in, probably still is the industry standard, the Electro Voice RE20, sometimes RE27. Uh, those, if you were to walk into the radio stations in your own town. You would see those mics all over the place. They're incredibly sturdy. You don't need the best mic technique to use them. They're pretty good. They sound really good. And they are the industry standard. Well, Hal came out with the PR40 to, to essentially be the same sort of size and format. And in fact, he was smart enough to make them, the, the base of them, the exact same size and shape so that they will fit exactly perfectly into all the Electro Voice RE20 shock mounts. Um, we're actually using the 309A Electro Voice shock mount for the Heil PR40 because we like those a lot. Uh, they made these microphones to sound even better than the RE20. And I personally think they do, at least for my voice. But that's where the whole microphone issue comes in is that different people's voices are going to work better on different microphones. But that's not what the discussion was about. The discussion was about the fact that uh, there, one particular microphone that I see recommended everywhere that everyone seems to have is not my favorite microphone. Uh, it's not because the microphone's not good. Uh, and, and, uh, it's not because the microphone is a condenser mic instead of a dynamic mic. I'll explain the difference in a second. It's because I think that microphone just hits a sweet spot. It hits a price point that a lot of people, uh, uh are comfortable paying for a microphone, which I believe is about $79. It has a bunch of good features. It's a decent enough mic. Um, but it's not necessarily, in my opinion, the best mic in that price range. And it's also uh, – they've, they've done so much marketing that it always turns up as like the number one USB condenser mic in that space. Microphones are not cheap things if you want a, a even decent sounding microphone. Microphones are expensive. And like I said at the beginning of, of this show, and, and like I say on the podcastmethod.co website, I want everybody to be able to podcast. Everybody should be able to do it. I love 
the fact that there are so many people with something interesting to say and, uh, and, and I want everyone to be able to do it. But just because I want that uh, doesn't mean that um, the companies that make microphones uh, should charge, you know, $5 for a good microphone. They would be out of business too fast. And a good microphone, listen to this. If you're new to the microphone business, people spend thousands on a microphone, thousands and thousands of dollars on a microphone. If you, uh, when you go to the movie theater and you're sitting there and you've got the inner world type people, simply know that they're speaking into microphones that cost probably $3,000. That's not going to make them sound as good as they sound if your voice isn't already great. Uh, but those, those people who do that kind of work for a living, they have the very, very expensive microphones. And a very expensive microphone will make a difference. Here's my rule of thumb for this. Buy the most expensive microphone you can afford. That might be $59. It might be $79. It might be a high PR 40 that's about $325. If that sounds like too much to spend on a microphone for you, don't buy it. Buy the best microphone that you can afford. Keep a couple things in mind. Most lesser expensive microphones, and I mean microphones that are in the hundreds of dollars uh, or a couple hundred dollar range, are almost always going to be condenser microphones as opposed to a dynamic microphone. Uh, I don't want to get into the technical details of what makes those two microphones different um, because that, that could be a whole show in and of itself. And maybe, maybe that'll be an interesting show to have. I'll get an audio engineer who can explain it a lot better than I could. Uh, but some simple things to know about the differences, condenser microphones generally are a little bit less expensive than dynamic microphones. One, uh, but not that, that the best microphones in the world, arguably you could say they are condenser microphones, but two, and this is the main difference. Dynamic microphones tend to pick up, uh, audio in a very directional way. And I'll give you an example of this. I'm talking right into the, the, what you would call the top of this microphone, uh, with the way it's designed. I'm going to just move a little bit to the right here. And now I'm facing the same direction and I'm just a few inches away from the microphone. And now I'm on my way back. What a difference, huh? And I'm just a few inches away over here. I'm keeping my voice at the same volume I'm just a few inches away and now I'm back. A condensed, this is a dynamic mic, a condenser microphone. A condenser microphone is going to pick up a much, much, much bigger range so that even as you move left, right, up, down, off axis, um, it's still going to pick up that sound. Sounds great, right? And it does work great, especially if you have a group of people and you want to record all of them in a little round table. You flip the switch, change it to the circular pattern, and now you can pick up five different people in the room all at once really, really well. Great. It's also going to pick up all the room noise that you have. Uh, And that maybe isn't so great because all of that room noise that's around you or your neighbor's barking dog or the car that's starting uh, downstairs or, you know, your kid in the next room – it's the air conditioner, the fan, whatever. It's going to pick up all of those things. It's going to pick them all up. And that's bad for podcasting because it means you're either going to have to edit those things out or you're going to have them uh, on the track. That doesn't mean don't get a condenser mic. It's fine. But just know that if you're going to get a condenser mic, that you're probably also going to want to do your best to control the environment that you're in, the recording environment that you're in. Does that mean sound panels? You don't need sound panels. You can, and I, I remember the, one of the times I sounded the best in all these years of recording shows every single day, we were moving house from Florida to, to Austin, Texas, and we were staying in a vacation rental and I was recording in a closet with the, the shirts and the coats and stuff hanging right there. I sounded great. 
It was the best. You can record, but and it was it was uh, not a condenser mic, but it could have been because that that room sounded awesome. That tiny little recording closet. You can put a blanket up uh, on the wall. You can uh, you can cover cover yourself with a blanket. Seriously, anything you want to do. To, to kind of control that sound will work. But just know that a condenser mic will pick up a lot more background noise. A dynamic mic uh, generally is more focused. So um, there are a handful of really great dynamic mics in, in, and condenser mics too in my podcasting guide. The, the, uh, the entry-level mic that, that I really like, that I recommend for people to get, is the Samson CO1U Pro. It's 79 bucks. It's USB. It is a condenser mic. You will need to control your environment, but it's a really, really great starting point. And, it, and if $80 seems like too much to spend on a microphone for you, that doesn't mean don't podcast. That doesn't mean don't buy a cheap mic and try it out, but your audience will know the difference. And the, uh, as uh, Marco Arment said in his post, uh, care, care about the stuff that, that you're doing. Um, Spend as much money as, as you think is reasonable to spend and as much money as you can afford because the quality will be different and listeners do respond to quality. And I hear people say all the time, oh man, you know, I still listen to shows even if they're not great quality. It doesn't need to be, sound like it comes from a professional recording studio for me to listen. That's true. And I think a lot of people will forgive uh, less than perfect quality. Um, but just just keep it in mind that that, this is the thing that you're making and, you know, don't you want the things that you make to be the best they can possibly be? I do. Uh, that doesn't mean I want to make a new podcast. I'm going to go spend $350 on a Heil PR40 and then I'm going to spend another $200 on a preamp and then I'm going to, no, I'm not saying to do that. But I'm saying simply know that that thing that you create, you know, you, you want to make it the best that you can. Uh, so whatever it is that you th- think is reasonable, uh, and and that you think you can afford, use that and and buy that microphone. And in my guide, again, I put um, microphones of all different price ranges, starting to intermediate to advanced. Uh, and and keep in mind, I'm in here five days a week, sometimes more, recording something every single day, sometimes for hours at a time. And I have a three hundred twenty five dollar microphone. You you know that's sounds like a lot of money, uh, but. This is professional gear, you know. This is the uh, the Ford F one fifty pickup truck of you know. Uh, it, it's 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 a workhorse microphone. You don't need to spend thousands, uh, but you might you might need to spend a hundred or two uh, to get really truly amazing sound. You don't have to, and you can start small. And this is the other thing. Last thing I'll point out: start small. It's okay to start small. It's perfectly okay to go and spend. on a microphone, plug it in, record something in GarageBand that came with your Mac and have your friend who you're co-hosting with record their end and mix it together and then, you know, put it out on Libsyn on the free plan or on Squarespace on eight bucks a month and, uh, and, and see where it goes. See where it goes. See what happens. It starts doing well. You start getting new listeners, maybe a sponsorship or two. Great. Take that money. Invest it in something new. Grow it. Let it grow naturally as, uh, as, as, as your podcast grows in, in popularity. I'll do two more questions. Two more questions. Any basic recommendation for people who are about to start a podcast, never done one before? Basic recommendations. Yes. If you're going to do a podcast, commit to it. And here's what that means. Don't do one episode of it. 
commit to doing a certain number of episodes. Maybe that's four. Maybe do one a week for a month. Don't just do one and then forget about it. Uh, so, so, you know, if you want a podcast to grow, if you want it to become popular, it needs to be released on a consistent basis, on a consistent schedule. So that might be every Wednesday we release a new episode of it. That's cool. But just commit to that. And the shows that are weekly uh, or daily or weekly tend to do better than the shows that are uh, less frequent than that. So keep that in mind. But commit to it. Say to you and your friends who you're going to be hosting a show with, uh, let's commit to eight episodes and we'll do one a week for two months and see how that goes. Commit to it and, and, and really dive in. That's something that's important. The other thing is um, you don't need to have a super detailed production flow, but kind of have an outline. Kind of know what you want to say and where you're going to go. Are you going to be reviewing a movie? Cool. Like say, okay, let's spend five minutes talking about general impressions and then we'll spend about 15 or 20 minutes talking about this and, and then we'll wrap up the show talking about this. Those are things that you really, really want to kind of know what is the flow of the show going to be like in general. Do you want to get super nitty gritty and have it nailed down to every, you know minute segments? That's fine too. Just know the going into it. Because podcasts have a tendency uh, to get very, very long because there's no external force out there saying you need to stop or you need to take a commercial break. So you get these shows that wind up being two, three, four hours and then you've got to edit them all together and then you get to release it and everybody comes and says, wow, that that was a really long show. Hey, we've done plenty of three hour shows over here at five by five and that's fine. But especially when a show is new, you want to know. Uh, what to expect. Keep the shows and how long should a show be? Because I, I hear that question asked a lot. It depends. Uh, but the, the the most success we've seen with shows are shows that are kind of in maybe three different categories. One of them is about five minutes. That's why we have the five-minute tech news. About five minutes. It's a quick little bite-sized thing. People can listen every day. It's no big deal. Uh, the second one is in that sort of, eh, you know, 20 to 30 minute range because that's about the length of the average commute, something that people can listen to on their way to work. And then the third category is going to be what I'll just call longer, an hour or more, 60, 90 minutes, something that can be easily split up across two commutes because what you don't want to do is leave someone hanging with, you know, eight minutes left in their commute and nothing good to listen to. You want to give it, you know, the average commute length. Seriously, this is what people uh, really care about. Uh, so, you know, but but I think after about 90 minutes, unless it's really great, and sometimes it is, but unless it's really great, uh, maybe maybe keep it shorter. Another thing people ask me, and I, I'm sure there's a question in here, but I'll just jump to it, uh, is how much editing should a person do to a podcast? That's a really good question. Here's what I'll say in my own experience. I did a whole lot more editing for the first three or four years than I do now. And it's not because I'm lazy. It's because I podcast and there was a time where I was doing three shows a day, five days a week and editing them and doing a bunch of them with video. I learned very quickly that the less time I spent post-production, the less time I spent after I was done with the show, the better the sooner I could do another show or just rest or eat or <laughs> whatever else. So I got to be very, very aware, highly aware of how to keep a show moving 
and how to try my best to avoid awkward silences, strange pauses. You know, now we're as live to tape as possible. That's an old-fashioned term that basically means we hit record, and for the most part, what you hear is, uh, is, is, is what happened. We try to take out, um, you know, if, they're, if they're, Skype is having a problem and we lose the caller and we've got to reconnect them, the guest, the co-host, uh, listener, whatever, uh, we, will, we will definitely edit that out because you shouldn't hear our audio, audio technical difficulties. We should get rid of those so that the listeners don't have to hear it. Um, you know, but, but if you're doing one show a week and it, that's all you're doing, I shouldn't say that's all, that's still a lot. But you're doing one 60-minute show a week and you, uh, you, you notice that there were some lulls in the conversation or a conversation kind of petered out and didn't go anywhere or um, there was a, a really off-color joke that you wish you hadn't said. Yes, edit those things out. Edit for content, especially if you have the time to do that. Um, it will take you a very long time. It took me years to, uh, to be able to, to do a show that didn't require a ton of editing. Interviews are even more tricky because, you know, you may ask the person that you're interviewing 20 questions over the course of an hour, right? You may realize that one or two of those questions were dumb and you shouldn't have asked them or that their answers didn't really make them look good uh, or something. Yes, of course, please edit those things. Make the show as condensed as possible. Uh, either do that by managing the content while you're doing the show yourself or uh, later by editing the thing. Yes, I fully support editing. So I think that's something else that, uh, that you know, care about your shows, make them interesting, keep them interesting, and, uh, and do everything you can, whether that's buying the best mic you can afford, researching the topic before the show, uh, you know, knowing as much as possible about your guests and, and what you're about to talk about. All of those things uh, contribute to, to making a really great show. Uh, gosh, I didn't get to as many questions as I really wanted to. Uh, today, um, I'll do one last one. Also, uh, uh, this is the also uh, another the same person before who was Shumpertarian was the name of the person who asked that question. Uh, also, I want to do field recordings with people. Any recommendations on a basic voice recorder for such things? Yes, we have one we love. It is the uh, Zoom H4N. This is not a cheap thing, uh, but it, it basically is like a handheld portable recorder, but it's absolutely genius. It's got built-in microphones on the top of it that are sort of directional. Uh, it has two XLR style jacks uh, uh, so that you can plug in external microphones if you want to it. And uh, it's a multi-track recorder, so you can record all of these separate tracks at the same time. It'll record them in a WAV file or an MP3 file, and it records them to a flash card. It is the m most amazing, genius, awesome thing in the whole world. And uh, we use this thing anytime we record. Uh, you can plug it in through USB to a computer and it'll act like a USB mic for, for that computer. You can copy the files that you've recorded off uh, over that USB cable if you want, or you can, you know, pop out the card and do it that way. It's just the most amazing thing. The battery in there lasts forever. You can get these crazy windscreens for them that you can use to record in the field. That thing is genius. And you know what? You could use that as your podcast recording rig. Even if you have a computer, you could use that as your microphone. You could plug a microphone into it like a Shure SM58. I'll have a link to that and all this other stuff in, uh, in the show notes. 
And uh, if you're just listening to this and you're wondering where the show notes are, they're going to be at 5by5.tv slash podcast method slash one. But listen, that was just one page of questions. I've got like three or four more pages. I really want to get to them. Uh, ask me questions on Twitter at Dan Benjamin, hashtag podcast method. I'll collect them all. I'll do my best to get to all of them. And, uh, and, and that's it. And so you notice there was no sponsor, uh, because it's a new show. We do lots of stuff, uh, with sponsors, but you know, I would love for this one to be a listener supported show. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash five by five. Um, if this show it was helpful or if you hope that it's helpful, uh, go there and, and, and give us a buck. Give us more. Whatever you think is fair, uh, that is the best way to support it. And, of course, if you like the show, best, best way to support it without giving money, rate it in iTunes. Just go into iTunes and subscribe to it there and, and, and rate it. That is the best way to help new listeners find out about it. Uh, and I really appreciate you doing that. So questions on Twitter, at Dan Benjamin, hashtag podcast method. Rate the show in iTunes. And uh, if you feel like supporting us, give, give us a buck. Patreon.com slash 5 by 5 Thanks so much for listening. And uh, keep the questions coming. And we'll see you again next week. 